Father, tonight we're grateful for your word. Yes. We thank you so much that uh, your word is alive. In fact, it's the only living book in the Library of Congress. We thank you, Father, that, that it lives and it has the power in it to do what it says if we simply will apply it by faith. Lord, I thank you tonight for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Scripture says we are in the world, but we're not of the world, which means we live a lot of our lives, most of our lives, in contradiction to the world system. Uh, the system of the world is opposed to the kingdom of God, and we know that. The system of the world basically is a way of thinking that trusts man or the arm of the flesh to meet one's needs. Socialism is that. Communism is that. It says the government will meet your need. And so what it does is it takes the place of God. The kingdom of God, on the other hand, is the system that we live in by faith and we depend upon God as our only source. He is our source, our only source. It's interesting to me that when you read in Genesis, after Adam died, I mean spiritually, not physically, and when he ate the fruit, when he died, the first thing he did was try to meet his own need apart from God. Remember that? First thing he did was he, he sewed fig leaves together to make clothes because he's afraid of his heavenly father. Now to me, you know, that must have been quite the sight. Fig leaves are about the size of my hand. <laughs> what did he sew them together with? Yeah. How did that work? It had to be a mess. But yet he tried to cover his nakedness with a bunch of fig leaves. I mean, and he chose, you know, he chose, when they chose to eat the fruit, they chose to accept the curse rather than the blessing. In Jeremiah, it tells us that in Jeremiah 17, it says to trust in, in man or to trust in flesh is to choose a curse. To trust in God is to choose the blessing. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because the straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. The system of the world, the path is broad and spacious. You can just go that way. The system of the world, the way without God, the Bible says it leads to destruction. The word destruction is the same word in John 3.16 that says perish. It means to be destroyed. The kingdom of God, the way, I like, it's interesting, Jesus said that way is narrow and it's tight. Which means it takes resolve and faith to walk along it, but more than that, to find it. Because he said that way has to be found. It doesn't take any effort to walk in the world system. It doesn't take any effort because everybody's going that way. The Bible clearly tells us we walk that way. The system of the world sounds good to the mind, and it seems like it should be okay because, after all, it's normal. And the experts say that it's right. And, of course, I said this last time, what determines normal? Who determines what's normal? And, and, and what's an expert? 
I mean, what is an expert? Somebody told me one time, an expert is a person who's no, who knows more and more about less and less. <laughs> but who can be an expert on normalcy? We can't be led by the world system. The world says it's not normal to be sold out on the word of God. Here's what the world system says. It's not normal to be able to hear God. It's, that's just not normal. I mean, here's a bunch of people who don't even know God, and we allow them to tell us what normal is. I mean, they don't even know. They don't even know God. I mean, the scripture says this. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It might seem right. Doesn't mean it is right. It leads to death. I read an article recently on nutrition, because you can tell I'm big into nutrition. <laughs> it said that eating right doesn't have to be complicated. Okay, nutritionists say there's, there's a simple way to tell if you're eating right. Colors. They say that if you fill your plate with bright colors, greens and reds and yellows, that is the way to eat right. So this morning I tried it. I ate an entire bowl of M&M's. <laughs> I mean, it was delicious. <laughs> Who knew that you could eat right like that? <laughs> I mean, so, so, so they're saying normalcy is what the world says. We don't want to be what the normal says. What the world says is normal. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to be abnormal according to them. So here's our text. We've been reading this the last couple of weeks. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20. And the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we began talking about be, being filled with the Spirit. And so I asked the question, what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? The command here is be filled with the Spirit. We said that it doesn't mean having had an experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit and now accepting the theology of that experience. That happened in the past. We may have been baptized in the Spirit. The command, though, is to be filled with the Spirit. The Word of God instructs us to be filled. We, we said that that literally means be being filled, staying filled, continually refilling. We're to currently be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first week I talked about my experience when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and then another encounter I had with the Holy Spirit. And I told those stories to stir us up because we need to be filled with the Spirit. We don't need to be as crazy as I was, but we need to be filled. Last week we talked about the power of praying in tongues in the Spirit because it says be filled with the Spirit speaking. And we, we looked at lots of the, those things. And we looked at the prophetic advantage we have when we pray in the Spirit. So... When we're filled with the Spirit, what are we filled with? The Spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to say, I'm Spirit-filled? When it says filled, the word filled here means to be replete or crammed full to the extent that we overflow. 
So being filled with the Spirit is exuding the Holy Spirit in some way in my life. Being filled is not just for me, but being filled is for everyone I come in contact with. If you cram the honey jar full of honey so full that it overflows it, everyone who touches it gets sticky. Okay, everyone we come in contact should, with should come in contact with the Holy Spirit. So if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, what are we supposed to be full of? What, is that, what does that look like? I was talking to a guy the other day, and he wanted a particular wedding band, and he says to me, he said, I said, well, I'll see if I can find it for you. And he looked at me, he's a young guy, and he says, he says and what does that look like? And I thought, well, it looks like me sitting in front of a computer looking at a bunch of pictures of wedding bands. What does it look like? Well, here, this is a real question. What does it look like if we're full of the Spirit? What are we full of? Let me read you a verse of Scripture. We'll kind of spring from there tonight. Romans 8, verse 2. The Scripture says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm filled with the Spirit of life. If I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I'm filled with the life of God, and the life of God should be exuding out of me. We talked about not being drunk with wine. We talked about that we talked about effervescence is what we talked about, about it bubbling over out of us. The life of God should be bubbling over out of us. The Bible says in Romans 8:13, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. It's talking about that if we will live according to the Spirit, we if we, we if we order our life through the Spirit, we will live. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 6. This is the New International Version. It says, He has made us competent as ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Capital S-P-I-R-I-T. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. The Amplified says it this way. It is He who has qualified us, making us fit to be worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ, not ministers of the letter of the legally written code, but of the Spirit. For the code of the law kills, but the Holy Spirit makes alive. If I am filled with the Spirit then I am filled with life. The life of God is in me, and it overflows me, and every place I go, people come in contact with the Spirit, or they come in contact with life. You realize everything around us is dying, right? I mean, the Bible talks about the earth, and it's groaning, and it's, it's, it not, not, it's getting old. I mean, we have a lease here, and that lease is almost up, and this place is getting old. God's going to come back and restore it. But we understand everything around us is dying, except for the inner man of the person born again. That is being renewed day by day. The reality is, my spirit man is the same age all the time and never gets older. Because it's alive. It has the life of God. Here's what Jesus promised us. And you know this verse in John 10, 10. He said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, 
to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Why did he come? From that verse of scripture, it says he came to give us life abundantly. I like the amplified version better. He said, I came that they might have and enjoy life to the full, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. We're supposed to have life that is enjoyable in abundance to the full till it overflows. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life. He t in Luke 8, he said, he said, Luke 4, he said he came to preach the gospel. In 1 John, he says that he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. In Luke 19, he said he came to seek and to save the lost. In Matthew 1, it says he saves his people from their sin. All of that is about life. It's all about life. I mean, he came to die, not just for death's sake, but he came that we might have life. That's all it's about. It's about life. Jesus came that we might have abundant life. People who are having a good time, it really does show, doesn't it? I mean, it spills over from them because they're, ha they're, they're having fun. Jesus said we're supposed to enjoy life. Doesn't mean there aren't ever problems in life, but we're to have an abundant life, not a lousy one. You know, I mean, you, you meet Christians all the time, and you say, how's it going? And they say, well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. <laughs> and I, my, I always have the same response when I hear that statement. I always say, well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> we are to have life. We're to have abundant life. The devil wants to steal it. Jesus came to see to it that we have a life that is full, abundant Life. The word abundantly in the King James Version, the, the Greek says it means superabundant, excessive. We're to have excessive life. We're to enjoy our lives excessively. We're to have this life coming out of us. It, 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 means, it means to be beyond measure. It means to be exceeding abundantly above. We should have that kind of life. Sometimes Christians don't seem to have that life. You go to most churches, and they seem kind of sad. You know, I've been to some churches before, and, you know, I heard, I went to one church, and this guy died, and they called the paramedics, and I mean, it, it was like the fourth person they came to before they figured out which one was dead. <laughs> because that's the way a lot of it is. Church, church, church ought to be full of life. I tell you, I tell you when we go to our church, we're blessed. Oh, yeah. And we go, and when, I mean, when our worship band strikes the first note, oh my goodness, you know it's on. And you know there's life. Except there are some people that you can tell they've never been in a church like ours before, and they're like, we just get more angry as they stand there. <laughs> there's, there's life. It, it ought to, that's the way church ought to be. That's the way our lives ought to be. Think about these passages. You know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Life. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him. The Amplified Bible says and he who believes in, has faith in, clings to, relies on the son now possesses eternal life. 
now possesses it. See, eternal life isn't about when I get to heaven only. We have it now. Right now, we possess life. When Jesus promised this abundant life, he's not talking about waiting to heaven. Now we have it. We have it right now. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by, by me. When is he that? He is that now. I mean, we, we need to know this. It says, Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, talking to God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. He said, that's what life is. It's knowing God. That's ours now. I love the, the Apostle John when he was finishing his gospel. He said, but these, some of his words, were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. See, the, it's all about the life that God wants to bring us. If I am full of the Spirit, I will be full of life. We should be full of life. The desire of God is for us to have life. Not just, not just existence, but to have life. God promised life. He said it's only available through Jesus Christ by his Spirit. So what, what does it mean to have life? I mean, don't dogs have life? Cows? Flowers? Mosquitoes? Don't they have life? More abundantly. <laughs> well, the word for life in these passages, as you know, in the New Testament is the Greek word zoe. Now, that word zoe means more than just existing. A person, we might say a person has life who goes to work every day, goes home, watches TV, drinks beer, goes to bed, gets up, goes to work. Come home, watches TV, drinks beer, and repeats it over and over. I mean, that, that person, they might have a mate, and they might even procreate. Once a year, they might get a vacation. I mean, it seems like that's what they live for. And they might go to the lake for a couple of weeks. And they may be out on the boat or on in the front porch of the cabin and or a timeshare, whatever they do. And they'll say something like, this is the life. This is the life. When they get old and retire, they die. Is that life? Yeah. Is that really living? Let's look at the definition of the word zoe. According to the Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament words, zoe means this, life as a principle. Life in the absolute sense, here's part of life, life as God has it, and that which the Father has in himself, which he gave to the incarnate Son to have in himself. Life as God has it. Jesus said that he came that we might have the life quality of God as God has it, that we might have it in abundance. That's what we're supposed to have. The life quality of God in abundance. The word Zoe means life of the absolute fullness of life, real life, genuine life, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, life that is blessed, absolute fullness of life. That's what Jesus said he came to bring to us. And we don't have to wait for heaven to get it. He said we can have it now. Zoe. The Greeks did not use the word zoe when they spoke of ordinary life. 
you read Greek literature, they used the word bios. Not so, eh? We get the word biology from that. For the Greeks, the word bios was about life right here, the day-to-day -day activities that make up what we experience as being alive. Going to work, coming home, watching TV, drinking beer. That's just bios. All right? Bios was a recounting of the present life. We call, we call that a biography. And it comes from that word bios from the Greeks. All right? Now, the Greeks did use the word zoe, but, but we need to see how, how they use it because the New Testament was written in Greek not by accident. God knew what he was doing when he used the Greek language to write the New Testament. I realize they were Jewish people. They wrote it in Greek. And when they said the word zoe, Greek people understood what it meant. The term zoe refers to the Greeks. It was a force. The life of God that should be overflowing our lives, that the Holy Spirit is, I mean, that's why he's just a force. It ought to be a force in our lives. It's a life, it, to them it was the life animating principle that came from the realm of the divine. This life came from God. Zoe comes from God. It empowers existence in the material world. The life of God comes and empowers us in the material world. And then, when the body ceases to live, that Zoe life in us, in, the, in our spirit, we return to the spirit realm by the power of that Zoe life. That's what the Greeks taught and believed. That's why that word is used in the New Testament. It comes only from God, empowers us to live the life of God, and then when we die, empowers us to live in his presence forever. When Jesus promises life, he's referring to the life that, that, that is that, that from God that's available here and now to all who will believe. Okay, here's what I want to really get to. We all know about Zoe. What about the Hebrew word for life? What, what, when we talk about life, let's look at the beginning of the life of man. We want to, I believe this. If we want to find out what God's will for every man is, we just need to read Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. Okay, because you can find out what God intends for man. But let's look at this. This is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Now, this is the first time the word life is used in, in, in the scripture with connection to man. Notice this. God breathed into the man's nostrils. This is an interesting passage to me. He, since man was created the image of God, I mean, God made this thing in the dirt like we as children did on the beach. We'd make bodies of people in sand. And God made this body, and it's like God laid down on top of it and put his mouth over that little face and breathed into it. And man became a living soul. God, God got on man's level and blew into him from within himself. He blew it into that man, and man became an image of his creator. Now, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with, with uh, the Shumash. The Shumash is, is, a, is the Jewish uh, Torah 
in print form. Before that, it was the Torah. When it became printed, it was called the Shumash. Okay? In, in, in the Shumash, if, especially in, in some of the stone edition of the Shumash, it has, it has um, all these Jewish Hebrew scholars from ancient times who commented on what these verses of Scripture meant. So there's one, there's one really famous uh, Hebrew scholar. His name is, is Ankelos. He defines this. He says, he says, one, when God blew at him, he says, one who blows, blows from within himself, indicating that man's soul is a part of God's essence. Well, we know it's talking about the man's spirit. It says, this, this soul made man a living being, which is defined as a speaking spirit. Everything that God created was good. Only one thing could speak. And it was the man. He became, as, as another one of these guys said, a speaking spirit. He became, he, it, it says that he became a speaking spirit just like God. Because God breathed it. In other words, the life God put into Adam was different than the life that he put in anything else on the planet. Because everything else, he just said it and it became man. He formed it and he breathed life. The Bible calls it the breath of life. Now you can read in the King James Bible, it refers to the breath of life when it talks about the animals that Noah brought in the ark. Okay? But it's a different Hebrew word for breath is used in all those instances rather than the one that he gave for man. Regarding the animals, the word for breath is, means wind or physical breathing. Regarding man, the word for breath is vital breath, divine inspiration or divine intellect. So when God blew into Adam, he had divine intellect. The breath of life refers to the spirit of life, according to historians. Okay, the original man, intent for man was that he would be driven by the spirit of life, not by the instincts of the flesh. Animals are driven by instinct. Man is to be led by the breath of God or the spirit of life. So when Adam died and was no longer dependent upon God to meet his need, he sewed the fig leaves together. But he was relying on instincts rather than heeding to God. So let's look. The word for life in the Hebrew. This, the word for life, we look at Zoe, the word for life here is, is the word chay. C-H-A-Y is the way we spell it in English. But it's, the word is chay. It's the Hebrew word for life. It's spelled with two Hebrew letters, chet and yod. In the, in the Hebrew language, every letter is a picture of something. And those letters combined create a bigger picture. In fact, they have letter trees or word trees, and they're taking they, they take those words back to letters to see what they really meant. Okay? The word he is the word for life. For example, we know that the name of the Lord, in the Old Testament, it always is capital L-O-R-D. All of them are capitalized. And we know those letters, uh, we, we say Yahweh in English. Y-H-W-H is the closest we can come to it. All right? The Hebrews, of course, never say that. The Hebrews call, call him the Hashem, the name. They don't, they don't say the, the Lord or anything like that. They don't use that because they're afraid they'll misplace it. But the word for in Hebrew, it's pretty interesting, for Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the Hebrew letters are Yod, Hey. Vav, hey. Now, yod means head. 
It's talking about power, but it means hand. Uh, it, it actually is just a dot. It has to do with the divine point of energy. When Jesus talked about a jot and a tittle, he's talking about this letter Yod. Yod. It, 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 it's, it, it, all the other letters are formed from that one. And so it, Yod represents the hand. The word He means look or behold. It also is the fifth letter of the Aleph Bet, and it's regarded as the number for grace or law. Because five is for grace, five is for law. Okay? But Yod, hey, look, behold. Now here's what's interesting. The letter Vav means nail. And then you already figured it out. But the nail represents two things being connected together. And then, it's, then again, it has, has, has the hey. So when it's yod hey vav hey, it literally says, look, the hand, the nail, the grace. What a picture from the very beginning wow. of Scripture wow. that God said that his name, to, to Moses, he said his name is, behold the nail, behold the hand, or behold the hand, behold the nail. It literally says, behold the connection we have as a result of the hand that was nailed. Isn't that something? I mean, the the letters, the the Hebrew letters say that. Behold the hand that was nailed. I mean, and then of course we know that that name means he's the self-existent eternal one. And we use the word Jehovah, but those those Hebrew letters talk about because of a, a hand and a nail, we have a connection with Almighty God. Thank you. I mean, those letters mean a lot. This 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 word this word he has two letters. The Hebrew letters chait and yod. So we know that yod means hand or power. The letter the letter chait is the letter for life. Uh, 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 kai and kaya both mean living or life. And so this letter this is an interesting letter. It is it's the letter is a sign of transcendence and divine grace, pointing to the possibility that a human being can transcend the limitations of physical existence. Here's what it's saying. When God breathed into man life, he breathed into him the ability to transcend the physical world that he lives in and connect with God on a spiritual level. Nothing else that God created had that ability. When God breathed into him the breath of life, man became the creature that could connect with God in the spirit. I mean, that's pretty important. I mean, it literally means, this This word actually, this letter does actually mean grace, though Though hey is the fifth letter that looks to grace. God breathed into man's nostrils the spirit of the power of his own grace that enables and empowers man to transcend the physical, material world and connect with him on a spiritual level. That's what we're full of. Life that connects with God. Life that transcends the world in which we live. I mean, the Greek word zoe means means the life quality of God. In the original creation, it means man is intended to be is intended to live beyond the physical world we live in. We're to be full of the spirit that connects us with God. And this being filled with the spirit should be when people touch us, they should they should sense that they can connect to God. And there's a connection to God beyond the physical world. From the beginning, God intended man to have life. We're to be filled with the Spirit, filled with life. 
But life has to be chosen. Just like the apostle says, be being filled, it is a choice that we make on a daily basis. Adam's fall was, was a choice of separating from God through, through sin. It was a willful decision on his part. He chose death. By the way, life always means connection in both the Hebrew and the Greek. Death always means separation in both the Hebrew and the Greek. So when people die, the word death doesn't mean annihilation. It simply means separation. When people are dead in the spirit, when their spirit is dead, doesn't mean their spirit isn't in existence. It means their spirit is not connected. If we say our spirit is alive, then we are connected. But it's a choice. Now because of Adam's sin, death is the default setting for all men. That's, that's what they're born with. The scripture says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. So all men have the sin nature of Adam. And, it's, it, and, and, and they're stuck there until they choose life. That's what the Old Testament says. See, I've said before thee this day, life and good, death and evil, choose life. Ours is to choose it. To not choose it is to choose death by default. Mm. Life can only be accessed by making a willful decision and we're to be filled of the spirit of life so that people can come in contact with us and they can see that there's life beyond this physical world. It ought to be exuding from us. It ought to be all around us. We have this power. God said, you know, I'm calling heaven to earth, heaven and earth to, to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. I mean, we have this vote that we have to cast for life. We choose life. Our job is to choose life. How do we choose that? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> we choose it verbally. With the heart, we believe. But with confession, it's sealed. That's why the scripture says, be being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. We choose life. We choose being filled with our mouth. We voice agreement with God with our mouth. The only way to be filled is to speak and continue to speak. You know, as believers, we need to be people who understand we have this ability to connect with God. The world thinks it's craziness. They think it doesn't make any sense. How can you be say that you can connect with God? Scientists are now saying, oh, it's, it's the God particle. <laughs> you know, we have this God particle in our brain that, that, that relieves some kind of endorphin when we claim that we've heard from God. And so we just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but they think we're crazy. They think that is not normal. But the normal Christian life is a life of choosing to be filled with the Spirit. Choosing to be filled with the Spirit by speaking. We cast the vote by what we say. 
by speaking. Speaking. I am amazed. I'm going to tell you why most Christians leak. Why the Spirit just pours out of them and they don't stay full. It's because of the words they speak. That just kills me. Just leak some right up right there. My back's killing me. <laughs> You're driving me crazy. <laughs> what are you doing? Listen, you just cast a vote. Your inner man is like, why do they want that? Why do they want to be crazy? Your parents, you know, when you were a kid, you know, don't play out in the streets, you'll get killed. <laughs> And here's the one that always gets me. That just tickles me to death. Yeah. Or this one. That tickles me half to death. Well, if you get tickled twice, you die. I, I don't know how that works. <laughs> but what happens is we choose to agree with the world system, which is all about death. All about destruction. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, we need to speak to ourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Instead of looking in the mirror saying, you are so stupid. Or, you know, and you say the bad word, then you say your own name. We allow ourselves to leak the spirit by words. Because we choose life by the words we say. Because, again, the scripture says the word is near you in your heart and in your mouth. He said that's the word of faith that we preach. It's in our heart. It's in our mouth. Jesus said whatever your heart is full of comes out of your mouth. He said with your words you either release that which is good or that which is bad into your life. In fact, he began that whole statement with make the tree good or make it bad. Make your life good or make it bad. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. He said with words, we're either held in bondage or we're set free. We choose life by choosing words that host life. So life then is connecting to God. And I choose to connect to God by the words that I say. But, and here's what I figured out a long time ago. If I will just say what he said, it makes it all work out. The only way I can say what he said is to find out what he said and say that. I need to speak his life, his words. 